0: On November 10, 2015, the Ash Center for Democratic Governance and Innovation hosted a seminar titled Leading Change, Leadership, Organizing, and Advocacy in Japan, Serbia, and Jordan. Panelists included Konoko Kamata, Executive Director at Community Organizing Japan and former Roy Lila Ash Fellow, Anna Babovic, Founder at Serbia on the Move and currently a Ford Foundation Mason Student Fellow at the Ash Center, and Nazreen Haj Ahmad, co-director of AHEL.org. The discussion was moderated by Marshall Gans, Senior Lecturer in Public Policy at HKS. To learn more about the Ash Center, please visit ash.harvard.edu.
1: Welcome to this panel on leading change, uh, leadership organizing and advocacy. Um, By way of introduction, let me just say a word about... uh, organizing uh, as an approach to social change, uh, which is based on a view of leadership as accepting responsibility for enabling others to achieve shared purpose under conditions of uncertainty. It focuses on three questions. First, who are my people? Second, what challenges do they face? And third, how can they use their resources in such a way as to create the power they need in order to achieve the change that they need as well? It's distinct from marketing products to customers. It's distinct from providing services to clients. It is about enabling people to come together as a constituency, which comes from the Latin constare, which means to stand together. Stand together, decide together, and act together uh, to solve common problems. And it focuses on five practices, uh, relationship building, storytelling, strategizing, action, and organizational structure usually in the form of collaborative and distributed leadership form. And it's usually conducted through campaigns. So that was like a one-minute summary of organizing. So you don't have to take the <laughs> class in the spring, you've had the summary right now. Now, uh, all three of our panelists today have, taken, have all taken leadership, exploring the uh, use of community organizing practices in addressing challenges faced in their own countries. Um, each has been or is a mid-career student here. Uh, participated in classes on organizing, and has taught online versions. Uh, So today, they're going to be sharing with us what they've been learning, what they've tried, what's worked, what the challenges have been, and where they're headed. So that's what we're going to do today. Um, uh, First, I'm going to introduce the three panelists, um, and then each will have ten minutes uh, to respond to those questions. Uh, Then we'll open it up for discussion, and then when we conclude, each will have three minutes to wrap up at the end. Clear? Anybody got it? All right. So our first panelist uh, will be uh, Nisreen Hajj Ahmad, um, who was born in, in Jerusalem. Uh, her father, a dentist and uh, activist in the Palestinian movement. She grew up uh, mostly in Amman, Jordan. Uh, earned a BA in law at the University of Jordan, and LLM at the University of Edinburgh. Uh, from 1999 to 2007, uh, she served as a legal advisor to the Palestinian negotiating team in the peace talks with Israel. She came to the Kennedy School in 2007 as a mid-career student and ran into a course on organizing here, somebody, and, and graduated in 2008 with an MPA. Uh, returning home to Jordan, um, she began exploring use of organizing practices there. Uh, and in 2011, founded ahil.org, of which she is the co-director. And over the course of the last five years, she, in, she has led her team in coaching 14 grassroots campaigns and trained almost 2,000 leaders in Jordan, Palestine, Lebanon, and Syria. So please welcome Nisreen. I hope she can hear us. She can. <laughs> Until... Oh, good. Okay, good. Uh, our second... Our. We can't see you, but maybe by the time we it gets to be time, we can't. So we'll say a little prayer, but... In the meantime, we'll introduce the other two uh, panelists. Uh, Second, okay, good. There's this ring, okay. (laughs) Very well timed, to create the suspense, it makes it great. Uh, Our second panelist will be uh, Anna Babovic, who was born in Belgrade, Serbia, where her father was a uh, graphic designer and her mother a nurse. Uh, She earned a BA in international relations uh, at the School of Political Science, University of Belgrade and an MA in European Integration of Regionalism at the Karl Franzens Law School, University of Graz in Austria, and from 2007 to 2012 served in the cabinet of Prime Minister of Serbia. In 2009, she co-founded Serbia on the Move, a broad-based community organization tackling challenges of medical corruption, gender equity, and other concerns, uh, of which she became the executive director in 2012. In 2010, she enrolled in our online community organizing class Anna serves as a teaching fellow each year, uh, each subsequent year for three years, is currently a mid career student here at the Kennedy School, an Ash Fellow, and a teaching fellow in public narrative. So please welcome Anna Babovich. <laughs> and our third panelist, uh, Konoko Kamata, was born in Yokohama, Japan, where her father is an engineer, her mom a housewife. She earned her BA at Nihon College studying biochemistry, served so for 11 years in the private sector much of that working on environmental issues. Uh, In 2011, she came to the Kennedy School as a mid-career student, um, wound up in an organizing class, uh, graduated uh, in 2012 with her MPA, and the following year she interned uh, with the New York City community organizing group Make the Road, after which she returned home to Japan and with her colleagues launched Community Organizing Japan, which in the last year and a half has trained some 600 nonprofit union youth leadership, and is currently coaching 12 campaigns. She's also initiated a women's campaign to quote, live their lives in alignment with their own values. Please welcome Konoko Kamata. And so let's get started. Uh, uh, Goethe will be timing. Where's Goethe? He's got our timers over there. So each person will have 10 minutes, uh, and then that'll create enough space for discussion. Nisreen, would you please get us started?
2: Palestinian activist in the Palestinian Liberation Movement. In 1976, the Israeli army uh, stormed our house and arrested my dad for being an activist and um, later put him in a helicopter and dropped him on the border of Lebanon. So he decided to live in Jordan and we followed him with all the stuff from our house in a truck and we lived in exile. Um, every summer, my uh, mom and my siblings, we cross the bridge from Jordan to Palestine, and it's a mixed-feeling trip. We, um, we are very happy to be going back to the family, but sad that our dad isn't with us because he can't be. And it's a humiliating trip because we used to be um, strip-searched and harassed at the bridge. Um, I decided to study law because I thought law is the way to bring about justice. And in 1994, the Israelis allowed my dad and other activists to uh, return to Palestine. And this time it was a different sort of trip across that bridge. It was more hopeful, more promising of peace. And on the way we were in a blue bus and everyone was singing. and dancing and we were received um, back home um, with a lot of uh, hope. Um, I finished my law education and returned to Palestine um, and joined the peace negotiating team, um, the Palestinian side. And for seven years, I um, negotiated I was part of the negotiation teams, Cam, David, and Saba, and other talks, if you guys followed. Um, The problem is that the law that I studied wasn't that uh, effective. It wasn't about the law, because the American broker was more interested in another sort of power dynamic, and so was the Israeli occupation. So um, peace became further away and the settlements kept expanding, and they were the only thing becoming nearer. I got uh, depressed, frankly, and uh, a friend of mine advised I go to Harvard, and that's when I did, and uh, learned about organizing and studied with Professor Gans. And I was fascinated that this is another way to get justice, how to organize people's power in collective action for change. And I returned to Jordan in 2008, and since then, dedicated my career to organizing and to coaching campaigns. And um, in 2009, I met this amazing woman called Samar Dudin. And she headed a community-based center called in an impoverished area here in Jordan. And she wanted to shift her center from a center that provides services to the community to a center that enables the community to organize their own campaigns to bring about change. And we tried the framework I learned with Professor Gantz, and it worked, and that's when I met another amazing lady called Mayfair Aqsousi, um, who is a passionate believer in freedom, and she was working for Freedom free movement of youth in the Arab world. And she joined the campaign we ran in Jabal al-Nadif for literacy. And um, a year after, uh, Mays and I formed uh, our organization called Ahil. And the word ahil is an interesting word. It's uh, mentioned in the Qur'an twice. It It means two different things. It means those who deserve, the most deserving. And it's also most capable. So one word that means most deserving and most capable. And we called our organization that because we believe that the people with the problem who need the solution, who need the change, are most deserving of it and are most capable of bringing it about. So for the past five years, we trained 2,000 people on organizing. We coached 14 campaigns. Uh, We built a team of 18 coaches. And we worked in Lebanon, Syria, um, Jordan, and Palestine. Just to give you a quick overview, the campaigns we work on are women rights campaigns, um, for example, against what's known as honor killings or to create data centers in private companies or for pay equity um, female teachers. We also work on uh, Palestinian freedom and ending Israeli occupation. We established the BDS um, BICA divestment sanctions chapter in Jordan, coached a campaign with the Bedouins in the Negev deserts to stop Israel from confiscating their land, and coached a campaign of uh, Palestinians to refuse the obligatory service in the military army in Israel. So that, that's a glimpse of, um, of what we uh, did, just to share some lessons quickly. Um, What kept us going, and it has been a difficult journey, is people's stories. To hear people's stories of pain, but also of action, is not just humbling and inspirational. When you hear it, you can't give up or retreat. If they are going on with their campaign, then it's impossible for you, given that, to stop. That's why in this methodology, and I'm sure my colleagues will talk about it, we put a lot of time in Having people think about their stories, share their stories, and create a collective story, their community story, and that becomes the engine for continuity and for momentum. Another thing that kept us going is seeing people work in teams and work effectively in teams. So we say that one person or power should not reside with one person. And the same thing with teams, power should not reside with one team. So we build many teams to run these campaigns. And it's not easy to work in teams and hold others accountable and be comfortable with transparency and and follow, um, follow through. And when we see them work, that gives us a lot of hope because we're building um, not just to win the campaign, but to win the next campaign and the next campaign, and change the way society works together collaboratively. Of course, very encouraging is to win the campaigns, and we've won some of them, and that keeps us going. Now, uh, before my time ends, um, just to share challenges, a couple of challenges. Uh, First challenge is around the leadership culture. So people are used to awareness campaigns or advocacy um, Campaigns where advocates on behalf of the people, um, like experts or lawyers, they run a campaign. They're not used to run their own campaigns, and that requires them to shift their leadership perspective. So instead of needing someone to lead in front or someone that I can blame, I have to do the work and I have to hold others accountable. And if there is failure, I am to blame. So that was a challenge for us and it is still a challenge to change the definition of leadership. And the second challenge is the context. So I'm in the Middle East and some of you may know. There are two things about being here. One, there's an influx of problems, one after the other, bombarding you all the time. And the second is that there is no rule of law or democracy. So we organize in this context, meaning last week, for example, in Jordan, heavy rain, a flood, two kids were killed and four adults because of poor infrastructure. The next day, two successful sisters, great woman found mysteriously um, dead and no one knows what happened. Yesterday, a man shoots four officers in a U.S. training facility in Jordan. And any action we run, meetings, demonstrations, whatever, is a reason for the security apparatus to question us because we happen to be around the corner from ISIS. So that's the influx of problems we're bombarded with and the other thing is rule of law. There is no rule of law. So we run a campaign, and we get the majority of the parliament to vote against buying gas from Israel, but the government doesn't care what the parliament is saying or says. And the same thing at a lesser um, level. The Ministry of Labor goes to schools to check, to inspect, and they find them infringing teachers' rights. They find them with the 50 fines, let's say, of 2,000 JDs. but um, the owner of the school finds a way to bypass that fine either at the judicial system or at the ministry itself for corruption and bureaucracy. And you take uh, your case to court, and the court takes three or four years to rule in it, leaving many um, of our activists without legal um, reference. Anyway, that's the, the situation. And this is not for Jordan only, because it's the same thing in Palestine. Israel bombards them with one action of injustice after the other has demolitions, aqsa invasion, um, settlers' violence, and Israel is above the law itself. The same thing, there is no rule of law with such U.S. support and military might. So where does that leave the the organizers? It leaves the organizer in a situation where they have to up the ante, they have to raise the confrontation level to rock the boat in a way to find a strategy that works or affects uh, the decision maker or the occupier. And the minute we do that, the risk is in- increased. And how many people will join us in such high risk? Less. So that's the context we are in. Uh, My 10 minutes are up, Marshall, but uh, I thought some, uh, my story, some things that keep us going and some challenges. Thank you, guys.
1: Uh, Do you have, how much time? Time's up. How about a minute for what keeps you going?
2: What keeps me going are the stories of the people. So um, in one of the campaigns for uh, teachers' minimum pay, Teachers here are paid less than $300 a month, and they're paid under the poverty um, line. And uh, one teacher, because she's an activist with the campaign, she went fired of her job. And I was devastated. But then I saw her, and for her, it was like, you know what? It doesn't matter, Nisri, and I'm willing to become just the activist for this campaign. They had with the 300 because if I fix this, I fix it for so many others. My kids are now going to university, so I don't need that job. I'm willing to be that fighter. So that gives me hope and it keeps me going.
1: Thank you. There'll be ample time for discussions and questions. Anna. And Goethe's timing over there.
0: I always get this kind of microphone. It's not this normal. Okay, <laughs> so I'm not going to sing, a promise. Um, yeah, so my name is Anna. I come from Belgrade, from Serbia. And at the time when I was growing up, um, Serbia went through actually really difficult times of... At that time, it was Yugoslavia. Um, and it went through the times of wars and sanctions and, like, all, all things that don't allow you to have a normal childhood. And although in my family, it was... We lived okay. Um, you just can help yourself, but seeing that, like, your mom brings her salary to home, and in this half of an hour, how much she needs to to come home, that salary becomes big enough to buy one egg, or that you leave, see that your your neighbors and people who are well educated, who are doctors, are leaving the country because they can't live with one egg, and I was quite. I mean, I was a kid, so I, I don't know what my emotion at that time was, but I knew that it, it's not right, it's not normal to, to live that way. Um, and I was kind of privileged, I, I had the privilege to go to the high school that was one of the best in, in, in our city, um, and Nikola, our friend here, uh, went uh, to that school with me together. Uh, but I remember that first, first year, f- first, uh, first grade, actually bombing of Serbia started. And since we were in that elitistic school, which I actually didn't belong to, like as as my background. um, But when bombing of Serbia started, majority of our friends left the country. And they were saying that they will never come back. And I remember that I was really, um, that I was feeling really bad about that because I thought that it was cowardly and that it's much easier to go and to leave everything and to find your luck or better life somewhere else, but it's much more difficult to stay and to try to change something. So I promised myself that I'll stay, and at that time, because in Serbia everybody looks to the government, at that time I believed that if you really wanna change something, government is the place. So then I started to think about how I'm going to go there and I thought that the way is to study political sciences, then to start working and getting closer to it, right? But I was 23 when I actually got invited uh, to, to start working for the Deputy Prime Minister. Um, and I thought, okay, all my dreams are coming true, we are working on reforms, we, we actually really did a lot of good job, but one thing that I realized is that at that time, government was looking at citizens like, okay, we are moving our country forward, but actually nobody was looking whether citizens are coming with us or are staying behind. And I thought it's, it's really wrong. So, how I understood that was that actually, I I was speaking, of course, with normal, with our friends, family, people, neighbors, and I realized that actually, they're complaining all the time. And they are diminishing all reforms that the government is making. And I started to think, why is that? And I realized that that's because they are not engaged. all these reforms so we are actually moving them but they are not willing to go because they don't know where they are going and at that time I started thinking what we can do actually to move citizens to do what they can and on the other side, I to stop complaining because that's what Serbs do. Like, we complain and we do nothing about changing that.
1: You don't have a monopoly on that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. But at that time, I was... Uh, and it's fun because I, I uh, at first, I started looking at that from from um, government perspective. So at that time, for example, my, my brother-in-law, he is complaining about high level of corruption. And then when police stops him because he's driving like real fast in in the wrong direction, he opens the, the, the window giving money. So he doesn't give the, and I'm like, but how can you complain about government when you are the first one who is actually breaching that law. So once when you give your documents and you get a ticket for for breaking rules, then you can complain if that guy actually asks you for money, right? But like you're not even thinking about rules and then you're complaining. So you see that I'm quite (laughs) emotional about that. And it's not a police, it's healthcare, it's everything. So at that time I started thinking and actually had a lot of friends thinking the same way. So, at that time I met um, a great guy, Peja Stojic, uh, many of, of you know him or will get to know him. And he actually helped me, to, to push me actually, to, to meet those guys that I was already thinking about and to start creating organization. And we did that through Serbia in the Move for the organization which aim was actually to build power within people. At that time, we didn't know Marshall yet. Um, so we started trying, you know, like how to, how to, how to mobilize people and how to organize them, and how to, to give them some power. And then we met Marshall. Um, and that was kind, kind of in 2009, um, end of the 2009. And then we actually started working on that in more organized way and we started to organize people, to train them, to work on them, on our campaigns, to engage them, to give them hope that something can change. Because at the very beginning, it was the biggest challenge, like how you can actually move people from from the state of apathy. They were completely sure that nothing can change. Um, and we started with topics that are related to everyone in our society, which is like healthcare, a cor- a corruption of healthcare, because no matter um, uh, whether you want or not, you have to to end up uh, a doctor at some point of time, um, and that's how I started actually building the 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 base it built and building the the different campaigns, solving different issues. Um, we are now at our fifth actually sixth years of existence we went through different stages from uh, being an organization that is actually only implementing campaigns and are dying in in <laughs> in phases in between um, to, to actually creating an organization that has like more than 100 volunteers working on um, life of the organization in between campaigns um, being at first shakers then troublemakers then now maybe movers and actually being <laughs> yeah So now like when we come to with some proposal and that happened a few days ago um, Government says okay. We are going to do it. Just don't start campaign on that um, Because <laughs> kind of now they know that we can make that power shift and that was my I guess the biggest learning how you can actually Organize pa- pa- people build power the- there and make the power shift to make the change that your people need How we're we doing on time?
1: Great. Okay. Thank you. That's it. One more minute. One more minute. <laughs> tell, them, tell them something that you learned. Well, I guess uh, you did. But
0: yeah. So in terms of learning, I think that that um, and maybe that what what uh, keeps us going forward. Okay. At this moment, the biggest challenge is that like on paper everything looks good. Everything like all laws, everything is fine. But the implementation is something that doesn't work well. Um, and then you actually need to to really dig deep and realize why something is not working and how to how to fix it. Um, but what keeps me going is that five years ago, like people were laughing when we say that we are going to have 300 volunteers in our campaign and that they are not paid volunteers. And they, they were literally falling uh, from, from chairs. And now it's kind of normal that we have a lot of people in our campaign. Last year I led campaign with 250 moms. And people told me like, you're crazy if you think that you can organize moms with small babies up to one year, like really baby babies. Um, And in our first meeting, uh, in our first training, uh, uh, we had mom who came with baby who was at that time three weeks uh, old and she spent two days and we know how our trainings looks like. So it's like from 6 a.m. to to 6 (laughs) p.m. And another moms their their husbands were bringing babies um, for feeding in our breaks for coffee or for milk <laughs> in this case. So that <laughs> level of passion and interest on in changing things is something that really inspired me. And like I I want to work on that in the future too. Thank you. Thanks. Anna. That's
1: one oh, I think
3: I have microphone. Uh, Kanoko. Hi, my name is Kanoko. I'm from Tokyo, Japan. Um. So. As was introduced my mom. my mom was housewife, and my ma- my dad was engineer. Um, when I was thirteen, uh, my mom told me that I wanna die when I, when you become adult because I have no value raised uh, other than raising you. So I was very shocked, and then I was I thought I was the one who disrupted her life. Um, in contrast, my aunt uh, she was beautician and she owned her hair salon, and she's proud of her work. So I want to be like my aunt. And then after college, I worked for um, the trading firm and then changed my job to the environmental consulting firm. And when I was 26, the CEO was replaced. And then he soon averaged flexible working hours and then work at home system when when your kids were sick. Uh, I was very outraged because that shut down opportunity for women to work. And also, I felt my career path would shut down because I was a woman. And so I collect all the opinions from employees and submit to the CEO. And he said to me, "Don't do this shit." <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then, unfortunately, I was—I I only given uninterested work for a year. But I was good at sales, so I could, um, i could, uh, i make a good sales record, so I was promoted. But I had no voice in the company and i feel like i was in prison without freedom of speech um, so i also feel that japanese society as a whole is really like that too because my many many my friends and colleagues saying same thing i don't have any voice so uh, at that time but i was also realized that there is some evidence that citizens can make change in the eu I saw that environmental regulation was proposed by the nonprofit organization and they, it's passed in the EU level. And, but that the reason why is that uh, organization is supported by many thousands of citizens. So I thought that, that that's what we need in Japan and I decided to study public policy here in New Harvard. I, I met Marshall somehow and <laughs> organizing and then I thought that we need this uh, in my country. And I was skeptical uh, first time because it's very American and then Japan is so different from that culture. (laughs) But I also thought that it's very fundamental to people act collectively and make change. So the urgent challenge in Japan is that uh, government has mobilized people to win the economic war. And uh, we all... Uh, somehow succeed, succeeded, <laughs> but uh, like men is working late, very long hours and the women are mainly in charge of taking care of family. That's how it works, But and then also the education is more like to um, bring the kids in more, how can I say, in a homogeneous way, and then so there is less diversity allowed in Japan. But it's been working in a good way, maybe like 10, 20 years ago, but it's not good working anymore. So now currently, I think 30,000 people commit suicide a year, but it's not counting accurately. It says 180,000 people commit suicide a year. And then also many people have depression. Uh, kind of sounds depressing, <laughs> if I'm saying this. Uh, and also women give up her career when they have kids. So, um, and also in the local community, the community is aging, so people, the population is decreasing and some village will be diminishing or will, will, will be disappear in the future. So, um, to address that kind of problem, I launched a Community Organized Japan uh, with my colleagues and then it, we launched in 2014. So, uh, what has been most successful is that the people got importance of civil society. So we, dealt, we didn't have the volunteerism on um, profit organization um, until recent, and, but we had huge earthquake in 1995 and 2011 and both earthquake made uh, us awake. We need civil sector, especially in 2011 earthquake. As you may know that uh, we had um, nuclear power plant explode, and then people started realizing that we can't trust government 100%, we have to do something for ourselves. And so even the business sector interested in the, our work, so that surprised me a lot. And then also, historically, community is very rooted in Japanese culture because we are you know, farmers and we have small land to share. Um, but uh, it used to be the community is to suppress, is, is governed to, in, to the sake of the people suppress themselves. So we have to sacrifice our value or individual to keep the community. So when we urbanize, people want to be away from the community, but also in the same time, people feel isolated, feel vulnerable, so they need a community. So community organizing is a new way to create a community based on their value, but still respect each individual. That's uh, the people are excited about it. And then so a lot of people eager to learn organizing, And then mostly non-profit organizations, co-op, and uh, then labor unions, but even the corporate employees who want to do the social good in their spare time. So we've trained uh, 600 people over the one and a half years, and then we coach currently 12 campaigns. And what's been very surprising for Japanese people that uh, to build movement, uh, we tell them to tell their own story. But in the Japanese culture, we don't tell our own story. We 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 are taught not not to tell your story. But um, they are really surprised how effective to build a connection to their story. It's really eye-opening for Japanese people. And then in terms of the campaign, um, we just started intensive coaching this year. And then now, as I said, we have now 12 campaigns coaching. Uh, but interestingly, the women-led campaigns most successful so far. So I want to introduce um, some of them. So uh, one example is that uh, postnatal care community for mothers in Iwate, north of Japan. And northern part of Japan is very male-dominant and not enough OBGYN, OBGYN, and not, post, not postnatal uh, support. And the midwife in the center she decided to organize mom to create postnatal care by mom, and this year she is organizing that uh, like tea salon like this, then by, by mom, and then they all. Uh, she tried to organize mom, and next year uh, she's going to um, open the voluntary-based postnatal care center. So why we need this? Uh, so sorry. And then this is another campaign example. Uh, this is my, my own campaign. <laughs> and then, uh, so this is to launch the Women's Association to Change Gender Role and Work and Life Environment on women in Tokyo. Um, as you may know that there is still a strong gender role in Japan like the, you know, t- in charge of family and also that's subordinate to the men. And then we are also still a sex object so we wanna change that situation. But as you may know, uh, Japanese women are supposed to be very gentle and patient. <laughs> and then we, then we don't speak up for themselves. So we, we don't speak up for ourselves. So uh, to break the barrier, we uh, organize that uh, dialogue with only for women, what suppress us, what we wanna speak up? Then uh, each woman take turn, this is dialogue, we t- which women to turn over the table <laughs> and then shout what suppress them and what how they want to change, <laughs> like that, <laughs> like that. <laughs> and why turning over table is that it's associated historically of the this, it's the the men's role to flip the table when they are angry. So <laughs> so we want to flip that uh, role as well. <laughs> So, um, so we want to do the action over and over again, and then we organize women and connect each other, then we learn uh, what our situation is, when we want to launch the Women's Association in March this year, next year. Okay. So, as, okay, so what the challenging part is that, uh, um, as you may know, that uh, we um, we have the culture that, uh, how can I say, I just checked the English, expression. We have the norm A protruding protruding nail will be hammered down. Oh, you got oh, oh. it? Yeah. yeah. So that we, <laughs> 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 we had a strong norm in Japan, so we can't be protruding. So it's really hard. So people want to e- learn the organizing, but it's really a uh, challenge for them to take action. So our next step, we really need to, need to encourage people to e- take action. You know, don't afraid to be Hammer it down. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Good. Well, that's an interesting beginning. Um, so let's open it up. Uh, you've heard three very interesting presentations, different kinds of challenges, real challenges, successes. Um, let's open it up. And there's a mic, questions.
3: Thank you very much. This was very uh, interesting for me. I have a question for Kanoko-san because I'm from Japan. A little louder. Um, So I have a question about the Japanese context. I'm very interested in gender and gender equality in in families and in workplaces. Are there more campaigns about gender? Is it increasing? And in what area are they increasing? And um, if some of them are successful, could you share some of your ideas about why they are successful? So currently we are coaching the, uh, another two campaign led by women and mostly they are concerned about childcare because the childcare is only taken by wife or mom and then uh, they are really uh, have, having a hard time. So those uh, campaigns are very successful uh, as far as I know and then there's many campaigns going on to increase daycare center from childcare center.
1: Let's get some more questions. And I just, I think, what's kind of a unique opportunity is that the the cultural, political contexts of this work are so different from one another. Yet they're working at adapting similar practices to the uh, development of collective action. And it seems like a kind of a unique opportunity to try to get some insight into that and what's different, what's the same, um, how it varies why things might work across culture when we're told they don't, uh, that sort of thing. I think this is kind of a unique learning opportunity for that. And you know, the challenges, uh, you know, the range from what Nasreen is facing every day to Konoko's reality are quite different, uh, quite different. Uh, Yet, uh, what seems to cut across all is this question of voice, of individual voice, collective voice, and how to actually make make it heard, make it work. Uh, or agency, as we might we might call it, make it actually work. So let, let's just get some more questions, and then we'll get going.
3: Hi, my name is Danielle. I'm a student in the MPP program at the Kennedy School, and I also was a Fulbright Scholar in Jordan um, a few years back. Um, I have a question for all of you, if you'd like to comment about how people made you maybe uncomfortable being activists in your societies and what stigmas that you had to overcome um, or become comfortable um, pressing against, and kind of what gave you the strength to keep going when, you know, when you faced uh, faced adverse reaction to the kind of work that you were trying to do? Thank you.
1: Yisreen, you want to start with that? Uh,
3: um,
2: okay, I think I understood it, um, so a couple of things, uh, one is uh, the, your own society, like your family and your neighbors, and especially as a woman, if you're, your voice is loud and you're um, going against the system or you're pursuing change, you're more a troublemaker. And there's even a word in Arabic, um, it's, it's not used for a man, it signifies power, but it's not used for a man, only used for women. And it has a negative connotation but it means powerful, powerful woman, but with a negative connotation, as if no one wants to marry or be or neighbor, that kind of woman. So That's the stigma from the society. But the um, countering is, you know, you birds of feathers flock together, so you, who do you hang around with? And, and I think like with my neighbors, it's about talking their language but to make the same point about beating your kids or about uh, for disciplinary measures or about caring about uh, um, women's rights or pay equity and so forth. Um, Anyway, so that's one dimension, stigma from your own society, especially about a woman. Um, The other stigma from society is when we worked in Jabal al-Nadif, a poor area, And because the women are now active and having meetings, even in their own house, their husband started getting worried that she's going to rebel against him. So she's changing the power dynamic inside the house, although it was just a reading campaign. Um, And the other thing is not about society, it's about the government. It's about being called in by the intelligence to be questioned because you're organizing a, a demonstration or a stand in front of the UN office, let's say. Last week, we organized a women's stand, a solidarity stand by women downtown. And the police circled our demonstration. And men were coming to stand with us. And the police prevented them from coming in because it's a woman's stand, they were telling them. And that uh, men cannot be standing with women. So we went to the police saying like, what are you guys doing? We called for this demonstration for solidarity with Palestine. And the police man, the general was saying, oh, this is to protect you from the ill acting men. And of course they're making fun. Like they call you for questioning if you organize in the parliament, and if you organize demonstration, they try their best to be lit to lit. Um, there's a place where we demonstrate in also here in Jordan, and they just built a fence around it to prevent you from demonstrating. And that's um, just some examples. I don't want to ramble on, but uh, th- does that address what you what you've asked? <laughs> <laughs> that's great, that's great. Uh, Tinocho, Anna.
3: Yes, we have stigma toward activists. When, when you are considered as activists, uh, people like to put a label on the people. So uh, first you got, you are the communist. She, I mean, she's communist. <laughs> That's what we got. <laughs> and then um, also people, and the government don't like to talk to the non-profit organization. You know, that the, they think that, you know, uh, profit those people are too radical, they don't talk to each other. Uh, so it's really hard to set a, a meeting with the government when they want to do some negotiation. And how, what's the strength, I, I mean, how I can get strength to move forward is really to recall my story, why I'm doing now. And But I think the most helpful one is to have a strong team to support each other, so when I'm down, the other team member will support me. Okay, we got, we can go, <laughs> that's really helpful.
0: So in our case, uh, in Serbia, I think word activist as such has, I can't say negative meaning, but like perception is that that's somebody who is just protesting for the sake of protesting without having clear strategy on what they wanna achieve, how they wanna achieve, why they are doing, what they are doing, and stuff like that. So I think that we, um, tried to overcome that challenge by actually having mindful and strategic action. And when I said a few minutes ago that like now when we are acting, government is not dismissing and disregarding us, I think that they started to realize that if we are complaining, that if we are organizing, we're not doing that just because of being NGO, who is is paid to do that, but we do that as like coming from from citizens and uh, those problems are coming from them. and on the other hand, why I think we managed to do that is and how we managed to, to shut them uh, off <laughs> uh, and to, I think start changing that perception is that we started to create change. So earlier, and that was so um, uh, visible for me, when I left the government to, 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 to start working full time in NGO, people thought that something is really wrong with me, uh, that I'm going completely wrong direction. And I think that some of them thought that I'm completely insane. And at the very beginning, when I started talking about people and change and everything, my ex-colleagues, who are all in policy, um, were telling me, like, "Uh, you and your citizens, but let's do something real. And I was quite nervous at that point of time not to use some other word, um, because I've never really seen think tanks making a change. I don't say it's not useful, but I've never seen that. And I really started thinking that we can't do without one another. Like government can do without citizens. I think things can do without citizens, again, and somebody who's going to bring that change. So last year, when we actually managed to, with these 250 moms with babies, to change the law, That actually showed the power of activism, and you know, like something that all these NGOs speaking about why it's important to have moms in labor markets, stuff like that. They didn't manage to change it. So in that way, I'm not saying I'm not activist. I'm this and that. I mean, I don't care how they call me. But like, this is the change, and that's what is important.
1: Thank you. Uh, There was back over here. Yes, I think think you were next. Uh, Why don't we get about three questions and then uh, get response? Yeah, go ahead.
3: Hello, uh, I'm Chun, I'm a mid-career too. I have a question for Canobo, Kenoko, yes. Uh, about these nails, because I I have I come from China. I have those real story happened to my husband's classmates. He he like lead the classmates to fight for the teachers. Then he get like. Uh, he was forced to drop out, and he never make it. Made his way to the college, and now he's like no nobody. And this is the same for the Tianmen event. So you, you said you you can prevent those nails being hammered. So what mechanisms do you have there to protect them?
1: Let's get a couple more. So the, how to keep nails from being hammered? Uh, yes, right behind you. Yeah. Hi. Um, my name is Esther, I'm a current um, MPP One student. Um, I have a question for all of you. Um, so, um, how do you define success of your um, community organizing collective action? And also, um, how do you go about measuring impact? Okay. If you get, can give an example, that will be great. Success, impact, nails, I'm gonna keep. Um,
0: my question would be, since you're not providing like a marketing consultory or something like that. Uh, how does this model work so about like working from the same organization with different causes the, or doing different campaigns? Do, do Is
1: that clear with that question? I'm not quite,
0: I think that I understand. Yeah, you mentioned that, that, that you wanted to work like against corruption, uh, pub, uh, problems with public health and like how do you do to work with different issues?
1: Yeah. Okay, so working with groups pursuing different issues uh, how to keep nails from being hammered down, and um, oh, how do you measure success and impact let's just stop there those are those are three pretty good ones. Who wants to start with that uh, Anna, you want to start with that and then we'll proceed
0: so um, i'll start with this um, part on okay, so hammers and nails um, I mean and this is completely my personal opinion, maybe completely off, off the track. But I think that you can't guarantee anybody's protection. But the power of community and, like, protecting each other can give people hope that they can change something, give them some courage to try, and on the other hand, really have community who is going to tr- to give their self their best to protect it, if that helps. But, like... That's how I could could respond at this moment. Can I respond at this moment? Um, When it comes to measuring success, it's quite simple. Like you, (laughs) no, really, because um, we never start with um, changing things that we can't see Impact off, or that we can see whether we lost or win, and that is one of the things in community organizing. You you create your campaign. You have real well. You you know real well where you are at that moment. You know really well where you want to go, and you are thinking and strategizing on how you can actually turn what you have at this moment to what you need in order to achieve the change that you want. So you have comp- really really. Um, Picturesque strategy on when you want to achieve it, how the success will gonna is gonna look like, and on that exact date you know whether you won or lost. So in that terms, like it's really measurable, and you know if your campaign wanted to change the law, you know whether you did it or not. So in that sense, and impact is of course di- different from from one campaign to another. Um, campaign that we did last year was. If we change the law, it will affect 70,000 uh, uh, 70, families a year. And like when you change it, you know what the impact is. It can be bigger or a little bit smaller, but that's that's around it. Um, and how we do different issues. So um, Serbian the move is a little bit different than than um, Ahel and a, a community organizing in Japan. So I'll speak for for ourselves. So. We have campaigns that we lead and that we do, like our idea when we formed Serbia on the move is like to change things in our society. So we mainly choose to speak with people, know what the real problems on the ground are, and then we launch campaigns to address those problems. Um, However, we realize that we can't cover all issues in the society of course. So now in our new strategy we has, have like uh, 13 points, 13 overarching areas in which we are trying to make change and we are now organizing clubs all over Serbia uh, and clubs are actually groups of people who are working on making change in those 13 areas. So that's that's how we, we are trying. Of course we are coaching other campaigns but that's, that's uh, off the topic at this moment.
1: Just to add that your first big campaign was on medical corruption?
0: Yes, our first big campaign was on uh, health, uh, actually corruption and healthcare yeah. and we have been working in that area for five years now. So and we didn't leave from there but we opened another another um, areas and we open another areas when we actually, because we train people we enable some leadership there and then they ha- they come and say like okay I think this is the big, uh, this community with which I want to work and this is the big problem that I want to solve. And that, that person starts their their own campaign.
3: So about Nell's hammer down, <laughs> uh, when I reflect back, because I was also the hammer down, <laughs> so, um, I think I didn't have the strong team to support me. And then I didn't really build uh, the power to challenge the authority. Then I also I get I I became the problem for him. So I didn't really create the, the problem about us, you know. And so I think that uh, we, when I reflect, bad I should do that, you know, to build a team and build power, and then also collect, create us. this is our problem. So how are we going to fix it? So that's uh, one thing I'm thinking. And then how you define success? As Anna said, I totally agree with Anna. <laughs> so we need to set up that uh, concrete. Uh, go, goal, what we want to achieve, because social problem is so huge, and then uh, we can't solve the whole social problem at one time. So we need to set up the clear goal, what we can achieve, then uh, measure the impact based on that. And or oh, for the working on different s- issues, like we basically uh, provide organizing framework to different people, and people come, people sign up, then. Uh, around or organizing, then we also ask commitment. If you wanna work on the campaign, we're gonna coach you. The, so we don't select the issues, but the people, participants will select the issue, what issues they wanna work on. That's how we work.
1: Yes, Reen? Okay, so briefly
2: on uh, nails being hammered and protection, although I, the question was asked to j- Japan, but um, let's say here in Jordan, One of the campaigns I mentioned is working with teachers for increasing the minimum wage. And to protect the organizers and the teachers, we have um, a group of lawyers who have committed to uh, support, if needed, uh, pro bono, support the teachers who are uh, uh, the rights are infringed, uh, pro bono. We have created funds for those who are uh, fired from their jobs due to their uh, activism or their organizing. And we've created a committee of uh, government officials as well as uh, experts or well-known names in Jordan to be their support group as, so that they have a, a back in a way. So that's on protection. On uh, measuring impact. And um, I think that the science out there on measuring impact fails to measure what we do. And um, I think that there needs to be development in how value shift is measured. So we also struggle with this question. I wish there was a way to say, okay, for this campaign, we shifted the values. Um, in this community, towards collaborative action, we shifted the values of this community towards accountability, and we shifted the values of this community towards more love in the community because of this campaign. Is there a methodology out there to shift that to, sorry to measure that shift in values? No, and I think it's a problem with the methodologies out there, not a, a problem with our impact. Um, But to measure how people measure, I can tell you that one of the campaigns we worked with reached 5,000 people activated in the campaign's objective as they had originally wanted. They created 128 organizers with experience and training. They sustained 21 teams over a year in collaborative action. and for me, more an important story is that one of the daughters of the organizers came came to me one time and said, listen, can you help me in my campaign? I'm in fourth grade. I said, how do you even know about campaigns? She said, my mom hosts the ladies in our house. They have a meeting every Saturday, and our, our bathrooms in the school are full with shit and... The, the janitors refuse to clean them they make us clean them every thursday can you help us with the campaign fourth grader so that's something you can't measure but it is an impact
1: thank you thank you thank you yeah i just say often uh, we look at impact in terms of did the law pass or not and that certainly is one way but from an organizing perspective, you're also looking at whether collective capacity was created, uh, whether there's new capacity in a community, in an organization, in people for the next struggle, in the next fight. And you're also looking at individual development in terms of leadership development, because those are the people that will then go on and, and initiate other efforts. So this impact question, I think, as Nasreen points out, is often misunderstood. Uh, it's important to, to, to be very clear about it. Uh, but also to appreciate the multi-dimensional way in which it really needs to be understood. I think um, we we're we're getting close to our time, and so and so and so we have uh, uh, three minutes for each of our panelists to offer concluding remarks, uh, comments, uh, and thoughts uh, on this session, on their work, uh, and on the questions that have been asked. So. Let's go in reverse order. We started with Nisreen, then Ana Kanoko. Let's go Kanoko, Ana, Nisreen,
3: yeah. Uh, So when I reflect back, so I completely changed my career from private sector to nonprofit sector. And then um, I'm very happy now. Uh, I got a low salary, (laughs) frankly, (laughs) but uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm true to myself. And then I really follow my value. So I want to increase such, you know, that kind of people in Japan because many people are really suffering what they want to pursue in their life. So um, I, through the organizing, I want to increase that kind of people. And then also I want to make change. But um, I mean, but if you want to move the big tanker, you have to do it step by step. So <laughs> I want to appreciate what we have done so far. And also I want to make steps. You know, by a little or a small step. So, thank you.
0: Yeah, so for me, it's really a b- big pleasure to be to be here, and Marshall will laugh. But um, two thousand twelve was actually the first time when I came here to Harvard, um, and it was the first Leading Change Network conference. And at that time, I was working in the government, and uh, as our friend Shivani says, like, we're fancy girl from the government, and then decided to um, to dirty her hands in in community organizing. But actually really like when we were sitting in that room like 100 people coming from all over the world one thing that they realized is that no matter how different contexts are and political situations like everybody share more or less the same problems everybody have the same struggles in their societies and in relation to authorities and on the other hand all people are the same so it's really big power that is coming from there and big inspiration. And for me, that was inspiring enough to quit my job in the government um, on the last day of that conference and to start working in in community organizing. And now it's like even bigger pressure that we have Kanoko in three dimensions uh, and two of us sitting together. I mean, this world is really small. Um, but actually, really uh, getting deeper and thinking about how you can create a change and inspire others to create change and build that power in people is just, amazing thank
1: you Nisreen are you there
2: okay i uh, i don't have anything to uh, much to say oh, one. <laughs> okay. um i wanted to address one point about from the guy i think spanish who asked about different issues in one organization and um, and I wanted to say that although we support more than one campaign or more than one field, uh, we are never the experts in the topic itself, and we never want to be the experts in the topic itself because the people of the campaign should be the experts. We are only uh, we only have more experience in organizing than in the topic, so you can shift and transfer that organizing skill from health to, um, to education to women's rights, um, as long as you, tr- you stay true to yourself that, that you're never attempting to be that expert in the topic or the cause itself. So I wanted to say that and I also wanted to say that um, I've learned that bringing back this framework and taking it to uh, Jordan, Palestine, um, Syria and Lebanon. We always start our work with saying this framework of community organizing was developed by Marshall Ganz from his experience in the in the ground in the field working with uh, farmers uh, the farmers movement, the immigrant farmers movement. And this sentence has so much weight with the people we work with here because they know it's not theoretical, it's not some professor who wrote it in a university. It came from the ground, and therefore it can be changed from the ground. And that's what's been happening in the past five years. The framework and methodology we brought back is changing here and there, but the heart of it, which is uh, the values and the collaborative leadership uh, stays the same. So um, it's a comment on education and hybrids as
1: well. Oh, <laughs> well, very subtle too. <laughs> well, I uh, uh, want to th- thank everyone. But first, I want to thank our panelists because, um, on multiple levels, I mean, uh, most of, certainly for for participating today uh, in all this, but for um, for my own learning, uh, the opportunity to work with them these past years. You know, people do research projects and all that. I'm involved in the opportunity to learn almost on a daily basis from the work that uh, these folks are doing and other people. We have a loose network we call Leading Change Network involved in doing community organizing work in many different places and contexts and settings. And I am so grateful for the opportunity to work with you all and to have this opportunity for my ongoing learning and and with each other. So I want to thank you uh, for that. Uh, especially. Uh, and, um, and thanks to everyone for uh, joining us today. Let's have a round of applause for our panelists. And, and if you, you want to learn more about organizing, there's a class taught here in the spring called People, <laughs> Power, and Change. And we have a distance learning version. Uh, and uh, it really is all about developing leadership, uh, building uh, power from community. Uh, to solve its own problems, uh, and building community and translating its potential into reality in that way, and that's what this work is all about. So thanks very, very much.